Well, good morning to you. I'm thinking about the last, uh, the last few words of the song we just finished singing uh, that said, uh, and let this be our prayer this morning, open my mind, illumine me. Open my mind, illumine me. I can't think of any words any more appropriate than those. We want to um, share a little bit this morning about uh, reading the signs of the times. Reading the signs of the times. On, uh, on Friday evening, we were watching television, as I'm sure you may have been as well. And we have just gone through by observing all the events in, uh, in France, in Nice, in France. Horrible, terrible events. And we have processed that and uh, wondering where things go from, you know, from there. And, and then on Friday evening, the news came that there was an attempted coup in Turkey. And I commented to Pat, I said, you know, as tragic as the events are in, in France, and as serious as they are, this news about Turkey is much more significant. There's something... There's something that is much more significant about this news concerning Turkey. Turkey is a very important nation, as we know, and is very important in terms of biblical prophecy and the unfolding of events at the end of the age. But as I was um, contemplating, as I'm sure we all were and are, the events in Turkey, there's so many questions that come to mind, and the questions would be, uh, what does it mean? What's the meaning of this? And how do we understand this? Uh, is, does this mean that this is that Turkey is likely moving uh, more closely towards an Islamic state? Is that what we're likely to see? Um, military elements, elements in the military, obvi- obviously not a a very cohesive effort at a coup. Something unusual about it. Something that just didn't make a lot of sense. The military in Turkey has experience at coups, as we all know. And this didn't look as if it was a very experienced adventure. So what does it mean? Uh, Was this some kind of a sting operation involving the government of Turkey itself, the president of Turkey, Erdogan? Is this what it was? We all know what a sting operation is. A sting operation basically takes advantage of individuals who have a likelihood or a propensity to act in a certain way that would be illegal or maybe against the interests of a state. And so events are placed in motion to give those individuals an opportunity to express their discontent or malcontent, basically to lure them into a kind of a trap. Uh, Police agencies and law enforcement agencies and FBI and, and so on do this kind of thing on a regular basis. Has the government of Turkey under Erdogan, has it done something like that? So there are all these questions, and I'm certain that wherever there is a question, there will be many to bring forward answers or solutions to those questions. But what was visiting me was a sense of, uh, what does it mean? And is it possible to, is it possible to um, give, kind of, give any kind of accurate understanding based on current events or based on the most recent news stories or news coverage? Can we discern the events that are coming based on current events? And my observation to that would be, no, we can't. Uh, We have had nearly 2,000 years of efforts to give an explanation based on events that are happening, based on news, 
based on recent developments. And I won't go through any kind of history of that. And all of these, or the vast majority of these, have proved to be uh, uh, either completely wrong or certainly filled with errors and uh, vacant spots within them that don't prove to be true. So as I was contemplating those things and realizing at the same time that we have a need to understand and we have a need to see, we have all these questions about where things are going. Surely the promise of the Lord has been to us that when the Holy Spirit would come in baptismal measure, that he will lead you into all truth and he will show you things that are to come. These are the words of Messiah. Surely if he did not mean that, he would not have said that. He didn't say anything he didn't mean. And so when he said he will, he will lead you, guide you into all truth and he will show you the things that are to come, certainly that must mean then there would be illumination with regards to end time events. And so, what we want to look at this morning is uh, reading the signs of the times. Just consider a few things together about reading the signs of the times. In what I want to share with you this morning, there is no criticism here, no criticism whatsoever. We want to um, we we want to understand things more correctly. We want to see things more clearly. And if we would lament the status quo or the circumstances that exist presently, either within ourselves or within the overall body of Christ throughout the earth, if we were to say that there's something lacking, something missing, something that we need that we don't have, that's hardly a criticism. It's an observation. And it's an observation made with a tremendous desire and a hunger for truth. And that's our attitude this morning as we come to the subject of reading the signs of the times. Just a few moments on this. Well, open your Bible with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. And let's begin there. Matthew, chapter 16. And what I want to suggest and say clearly this morning, that reading the signs of the times is impossible without divine illumination. It's just impossible. We all have opinions. You know, there are futurists, you know, the futurist, uh, Alvin Toffler uh, was a futurist. He wrote years ago, Future Shock and other books. He was called, he, he, he was called a futurist and he was a person who looked at events and looked at history and so on and then made uh, what you would call educated guesses with regards to where the, these events were likely to lead. And he wrote a lot of books that dealt with future events based on that concept of a futurist. But a prophet is not that. A prophet is in a separate and different category completely. And looking at the events, uh, the signs of the times, it's impossible to accurately read these and understand these. We can write books and we can give sermons and teachings. And yet um, it is impossible if what we are doing is giving our best, our best understanding, uh, we need divine illumination. And so Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, says the Pharisees and Sadducees approached and as a test, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Sign from heaven. 
And he answered them, when evening comes, you say, it will be good weather because the sky is red. We still say that to this day, right? We say that to this day. We say red sky at night. This is, I mean, there are various versions. Red sky at night, sailors delight, they used to say. Red sky in the morning, my mother would say, the sailors take warning. <laughs> so it's a version of this very thing. When evening comes, you say it will be good weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. You cannot read the signs of the times. You can make observations on weather patterns. You can make observations based on your experiences in the past, but you can't read the signs of the times. And so we have this morning, and I'm certainly I'm certain that this has been a been a continuing process now for many, many years. And I've read many books on Bible prophecy and have enjoyed the majority of them. I'm sure you have as well. And I'm not suggesting that we not read them or not look at them. I am saying that in terms of accuracy and finality, in terms of to know what current events mean, what the importance is, where events will go into the future. For example, the events in Turkey that are unfolding, what do they really mean? What is the significance and where will they lead and what, what do they portend? We cannot know with absolute accuracy and certainty apart from divine illumination. It's impossible to know. Now, having said that, and while saying that, it's also important to say that all of biblical exposition, all forms of Bible teaching, preaching of any kind, not just Bible prophecy, not just end-time events, but all Bible preaching and teaching and exposition of the Scripture requires divine illumination. Cannot be successful apart from it. But all of the opinions that are being expressed from pulpits and books and, and lectures and all of these different forums shape popular opinion. So the question then we're going to uh, ask this morning is how do we receive divine illumination? How is divine illumination received? If it's so necessary, and it is, and if we cannot really properly proclaim the Word of God, whether it deals with matters of the heart and matters of the spirit or matters pertaining to end-time events, without it, then we most certainly need it. And then how do we receive it? How is it received? Let's go back now to uh, the Old Testament, to the book of Jeremiah, one of the great prophets of Israel. Jeremiah, and while reading, beginning at verse 16, reading to verse 18 to begin, I want to say that all of this now is written by Jeremiah in a certain kind of context. And we do not do any injury to the context because we know this is, this is written. These words were stated to Israel, the nation of Israel, at a time of apostasy and a time of looming judgment against Israel. And it was, um, these words were said to correct, if possible, the course, the wayward direction of the people. Having said that, we also know that in these words are spiritual principles that are always true in every era, in every age, and they are true now, today, in terms of principles of how to receive divine illumination. 
And so let's begin at verse 16. Chapter 23. Sorry, Lord. Jeremiah 23. We'll begin at verse 16. It does make a difference. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. I'm going to read from, as you can tell, I'm reading from the King James this morning. It says, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. Imagine these words. In other words, there are prophetic utterances that are being given to you, but don't listen to them. Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They make you vain. They make you empty. They do not do anything to you except contribute a kind of emptiness to you. That's where the word vain is. Do not listen because they make you empty. He goes on and says, They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say still unto them that despise me, The Lord has said you shall have peace. And they say unto every one that walks after the imagination of his own heart, No evil shall come upon you. In other words, they're prophesying falsehood and they're prophesying falsely and they are declaring peace. They're saying the Lord is saying that you will have peace. And they are declaring that to those who are walking in open rebellion against me. And so the word of the Lord is don't listen to them because their words are just empty. Don't listen to them because they're empty. Gazanus says, uh, they say to those who walk after the imagination of their own heart, no evil shall come upon you. But when the reality is that evil is about to come upon them, and strong judgment is about to descend upon them, and yet the prophets are saying that everything's going to be fine. It's not going to be fine. And so they're prophesying error and speaking error. Don't listen to them. Verse 18. Now this is the verse I want to spend a little time on this morning. It says, For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word, And who has marked his word and heard it? Let me just read this verse one more time. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Uh, Who has marked his word and heard it? Now there are four things, and I have basically um, taken from verse 18. There are four four different things, and I want to... Take them one by one here. First, number one is, he's talking about standing in the counsel of the Lord. Who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? And we want to understand what does it mean to stand in the counsel of the Lord? And basically is to be in a position to hear. It's not possible to hear things unless we're in a position to hear them. So first we have to come to a place where we are in a position to hear. But that's not enough. Then the second part is, who has uh, perceived and heard? And that would mean accurate understanding. To be able to understand it, but to be able to understand it accurately. And I'm just going to state these very briefly now and then after I'm going to come back and cover them a little bit more in depth. That's the second one. The third one is, who has marked it? Who has marked his word? Who has marked his word? And that's the idea of marking the word is the idea of consenting to the word and embracing it. 
and saying amen to it and saying yes and drawing it to the, to the, to the heart, if you like. And the fourth one is heard it. Now, he's already said who, who has heard it, perceived and heard, but now it's the fourth part is to heard to, who has heard it. This is the idea of fully hearing it as intended. Fully hearing it as you are intended to hear it. Now let's look at these a little bit more in depth. Again, number one. To be in a position to hear. You know, one of the most important things to be in a position to hear the word of the Lord. And I'm certain we know these things, but we need to polish them this morning. They need to be polished. They need to be clearly understood by us. These, uh, these, word, these uh, scriptures do not just apply to certain individuals within the body of Christ, but they apply to all of us, each and every one of us. They most especially apply to those who would teach the word to others, but they apply to all of us. So to be in a position to hear means to shut out all kinds of competing or distracting voices. I don't know if there's ever been a time in the history of the world that it's more noisy than now. Do you ever find that it's difficult to get a real quiet moment? In other words, the moments that we consider to be quiet moments, quite often not quiet at all. We've talked about this before, but sometimes when you're visited with a power outage in your home and everything goes out, and you can't, you don't hear anything, and it's the way it used to be. <laughs> it, then it's quiet. So we have so many different competing sounds. If I were to ask this morning, I won't do this, but I'm, a few years ago I'm, I might have, but I won't this morning. For the sake of illustration, let me just say that if we were to select five individuals here this morning, and when I ask you to read a verse of Scripture of approximate equal length, five, and ask you to read it all at the same time. And you can just use your imagination what that would sound like. And you would hear one, and then you would hear another, and it would be confusing, wouldn't it? It would just be confusing, and it would be very difficult to understand. You would certainly not be in a position to hear. But what the Lord is saying through Jeremiah is, standing in the council first and foremost, means standing and being in a position to hear. And that is shutting out all other voices with a, and this is a very important uh, phrase, with a focused interest. A focused interest. You know, when you don't find something interesting, how long do you listen to it? If it's not interesting, we just don't listen to things that we don't find very interesting. If you don't find this interesting that we're talking about this morning, your mind will be off on something else. But you see, there's a certain amount uh, that is required of us when we come before the Lord to listen and to hear His Word is a focus of our interest. And you know, we're responsible for that. We are responsible for that. So that's the first thing, standing in the counsel of the Lord. The second part is to perceive and hear what is said. To actually perceive and hear what is said. And would you turn with me to John, John's Gospel this morning in chapter 12. John chapter 12. 
And I would like to read with you, starting about verse number 27, John chapter 12 and verse 27. Listen to these words. We're talking now about the idea of actually perceiving accurately to understand what is being said. How many times do we hear something, but we don't hear it accurately? We say, they said this, but in fact, the person speaking had no intention. That wasn't their intention at all. So we can very easily misunderstand what is said. We can stand and have a focused interest and we can shut out other voices and yet misunderstand what is said. But to perceive and hear that Jeremiah is writing is to clearly and accurately understand what is said. All right, John chapter 12 and verse uh, 27 it said, Jesus speaking, Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard, they said it had thundered. They said it had thundered. And others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. And so the voice of the Lord, or a a heavenly voice, spoke. Words were spoken from heaven, out of heaven. And Jesus said those words were spoken for your benefit, not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of those who heard them. And yet they misunderstood them. They didn't understand what was said. And a great many people there that day said it thundered. And some said an angel spoke to him. And obviously inferring that they didn't really know what he said, but they believed it was the voice of an angel. Obviously some there knew and heard what was said, since it is recorded for us. So was the voice of the Lord. But they didn't understand what he said. Then the third one is to mark the word of the Lord. To mark it. There is an old expression that uh, we used to use often. And probably some people still do. Maybe you can think of someone who you remember saying this, where they would say something, they would talk, uh, and often this had to do with something that would occur in the future. And they would give give you their opinion or their advice pertaining to something that had to do with a person or a place or something that might happen or somebody's character. And then they would close it by saying, now you just mark my words, right? Remember that? You just mark my words. Meaning you just wait and see. That's going to happen. You mark you mark it down. Now the third part here that is expressed is to mark the word of the Lord. To mark it. And I believe that means to embrace it without reservation. Unreservedly to embrace the word of the Lord. To receive it. Remembering that this is not easy. Do we think this is easy to do? It's not easy. The biblical record tells us that it is oftentimes the word of the Lord or the word that God speaks is foreign to the natural man. The natural man doesn't even like it. It doesn't even suit his appetite. He doesn't enjoy it. He doesn't even agree with it. One of the great difficulties we have, I will submit this morning, not just hearing the word of the Lord, not just paying close attention, but when the word of the Lord comes to us to embrace it, Because to embrace it means to disown the self, always. 
Why is it that way? Well, it has to be that way if we think about it because the scripture tells us that God's ways are not man's ways. As the heaven are higher than the earth, so are the ways, the thoughts of the Lord higher than ours. So, in other words, there is a tremendous uh, distance between that which God says and that which he emphasizes and that which we think ought to be said. And we have difficulty oftentimes in marking the word of the Lord and embracing what he is saying to us without reservation. I don't want to hurry past this and say, well, you know, if I heard the word of the Lord, I would certainly recognize it and I would certainly embrace it. But the reality is that the record says that's not necessarily true at all. In fact, the record says that very few will embrace the word that the Lord gives in the current moment. Very few will embrace it because it will be different from what they thought, expected, anticipated, hoped for, or whatever. It will confront, tend to confront the mind of the natural man. The market is to embrace it and to receive it and to defer to it and yield. And this has been our emphasis the last few weeks about yielding to the right of way to the kingdom of God. That's what this is. And so when, it, when we read through Jeremiah, standing uh, in the counsel of the Lord, it's not just something that is easy, that we just, oh, I have no problem. We have to think more deeply about it than that. Let me uh, ask you to join me in John chapter 2. Still in John's Gospel, chapter 2. And I want to come to verse 18, chapter 2 and verse 18. It says, so the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. It says, then the Jews said it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? About 16 years before the birth of Messiah, Herod began this project and operated for those 16 years before birth of Messiah and is about 30 years now into the life of Jesus, 46 years, and the temple is still being worked on. And so they're saying 46 years and you're going to do this in three days. You'll remember with me this morning that at the mock trial of Messiah Jesus that there were people who came forth and some of the evidence they presented against Jesus and the damage he was going to do to the nation was that he, he said that he would destroy the temple. Remember how they came? And said he said he was going to destroy the, the temple and then he would restore it in some kind of different way. And so they entirely misunderstood and mis- misappropriated, misinterpreted the words of Messiah in this regard. He said in another place, unless you eat my flesh and drink, my blood, you cannot have any life in you. Now, I find it interesting, and I've pondered this and wondered at this many times, Jesus being, uh, you know, knowing, it, it says very clearly that it wasn't necessary for anyone to testify to him about individuals, about man, because he knew himself what was in man. In other words, he didn't need somebody to come and say, you know that person over there, they're thinking... 
such and such, you know, their position is this way. He knew what their position was. He was enabled and he was able to read the hearts and the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And knowing that they would misunderstand and misinterpret him, he said those things anyway. What do we have a tendency to do when we think somebody's going to uh, misunderstand what we say? We'll say to ourselves, uh, I don't think I should say that because if I say, if I say that, you know, people are going to take this all off. You know, we calculate a lot of times, don't we? We calculate. Now, I'm not saying that we should not be prudent in what we say. I'm just saying when it comes to the word of the Lord and those things that must be said, Jesus said them, knowing that people, because their hearts were not right towards him, would misunderstand what he said, deliberately misunderstand what he said. But he said those things anyway. And so the idea this morning is to embrace the word of the Lord unreservedly is not just a given. It's not just an easy thing for people to do. It is not. The history tells us also through the New Testament church, even in the last number of generations, that when great moves of God in terms of revival move movements have come and individuals whom the Lord would choose and select to be a part of his work, especially presenting something, a message or an emphasis that would be somewhat novel or new or unique, that sometimes would tend to be a critique of things that had gone before that had become lifeless. Those people are not met with open arms by many, but they are rejected oftentimes. And the move of the Lord is often rejected by many. Why would it be that way? Because hearing the word, but not marking it, not marking it, Praying that the Lord would speak. Praying that the Lord would move by his power. And when he moves by his power, not marking it. Not embracing it without reservation. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That offends me. See, this kind of thing. Now our focus this morning is reading the signs of the times. And we're saying very clearly that in order to read the signs of the times and understand events and understand what is about to happen, we have to have divine illumination. There's no way to have it, no way to understand it. All the books will be written, sermons preached, but they will not say with accuracy what these things mean. It's impossible to do it without divine illumination and a specific call of God to speak it and a message sent that declares it. Not possible to do it otherwise with accuracy, but we have to be in a position to hear. Then we have to perceive and hear accurately what is said. And when we hear accurately what is said, then we have to mark it or embrace it without reservation. The fourth one is this. The fourth one is to hear those who have heard it, the past tense. They have heard it. It means that they have heard it fully and completely as they were intended to hear it. They understand it. They're focused with interest. They understand what is said. They embrace it and draw it to themselves without reservation, often necessitating a change within themselves in order to accommodate it. It's not possible to receive the word of the Lord without making the change within ourselves that's necessary to accommodate it. This is always the way it has been. That's the way it will be now. There always has to be making room in my tabernacle, within my heart, mind. Always have to make room for what the Lord, when he moves something in, we always have to make room for it. Always. 
In other words, marking it. So then, those who have heard it in the past tense, fully understanding it, and then the emphasis would be here now, is the consequence of that, the consequence of that is this, is that biblical faith rises up on the inside. It's impossible that it wouldn't. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So now biblical faith rises up. This is ultimate confidence. This is not just natural confidence. This is ultimate spiritual God-given confidence. It's not natural confidence. It's God-given confidence. And it is this that nothing is impossible with God. We can say that because we believe the, you know, the theology behind that nothing is impossible with God, but it's a different thing to actually know that because his word has been heard that way and then to know with the faith that rises up nothing is impossible with God. And the thing that's interesting about this is it's not shouting it. It's not hollering it. It's whispering it. Nothing is impossible with God. I've just heard from the Lord. And I know that nothing is impossible, including this which he is leading me into and leading us to and leading me to do today. This place that he wants me to go and this message he wants me to give, I know that nothing can stand before his word. And then what happens now is a manifestation, which we have been talking about for several weeks, is a manifestation of the kingdom of God in the earth. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 23 and read verses 21 and 22, and then we're going to close. Jeremiah continuing now the word of the Lord. He said, the Lord said, I did not send these prophets, yet they ran with a message. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they really had stood, if they had really stood in my counsel, here we are, if they had really stood in my counsel, they would have enabled my people to hear my words. And the result of that is that they would have turned them back from their evil ways and their evil deeds and the judgment that is about to come upon them would in fact not be coming upon them. They would not be taken into captivity. The city would not be destroyed. The people would not be molested. None of these things would happen if they, those prophets, had stood in my counsel and really heard me as the way he has previously described. Then my people would have heard it. This is required in order to read the signs of the times. This is what is required. One other thing, it requires devotion. While I was considering the word devotion, the light that was shining on the word was this way. We have heard of devotionals. We use the word rather religiously, let me say, devotions. Did you have your, we have a devotional, I have a devotional. I have this, you know, uh, Andrew Murray or someone, and I read this. Uh, you know, I read these, um, and, and that's all good, that's fine. But we refer to that as our devotional. And devotional has become a period of time where we read and pray and so on. But the word is so much deeper than that. Devotion. 
This is what is required to hear the word of the Lord. Really hear his word requires devotion. In other words, I am completely devoted to Christ Jesus. I am completely devoted to his ways and I am devoted to his words. I am devoted to his purposes in the earth. I am devoted to his government. I am devoted to him for the process and the dynamic to occur within us of being able to discern the signs of the times requires devotion, complete devotion. And this is our need in these times. Let me just close with these words. This is our need in these times. 